0: I don't know about you, you guys feel like you're ready. You're on fire? Anybody on fire? Webster, online, on you're on fire? Woo! Welcome to Northridge Church. It's so good to be with you guys. Whew. I just love when we get together and we sing the praises of God and just listening to your voices, it just motivates us and moves us. And so welcome home to each and every one of you. We want you to know, right? We say welcome home because this isn't a crowd, this is a family. Right? We desire for this place to feel like home to you, a place where you can belong, a place where you can learn to believe, and a place where you can become more like Jesus. And so to every one of you, no matter where you're joining us from online at one of our physical campuses, welcome to Northridge Church and welcome home to each and every one of you. And if you got your Bibles, we're gonna be in Revelation chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven, and a little bit of chapter eight. So as you walked in the doors, you were given a harness, you might want to buckle that harness this morning, get it nice and tight, because it's going to be a fun day as we explore the book of Revelation. And if you haven't been with us, maybe you're a guest checking us out, we are studying, we are a couple weeks into the final book of your Bible, it's called the book of Revelation. And many times you, you don't hear this book talked about a lot because it's very intimidating, very confusing. In fact, the title of the book of Revelation, the first word in Greek is meant to reveal or to unveil but unfortunately for many of us when we read this book it feels less unveiling and revealing and more concealing and confusing. And so our goal in this series is not to cover every detail, but to give you handles as you approach this book to understand the timeline. And this morning, we're going to dive right in. It's going to feel, I'm just going to warn you up front, like you're drinking from a fire hydrant this morning, because we've got a lot lot of ground to cover, but I believe God's going to do some amazing things through it. And so Revelation 5, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. It says this, John says, Then I saw in the right hand of him Who sat on the throne? So let's pause here for a second. Remember last week, right? John saw a door to heaven. And he has this vision of this heavenly picture that he gave us, but the focus of this vision was what we saw last week, the throne, and the one who sat on the throne, and he gave us symbols, and we get caught up in all the symbols around the throne, and before the throne, and encircling the throne, but all of these symbols are point back to the one in heaven who sits on that throne, and we saw that those symbols, they worshipped the one who was worthy, and so John, here, he picks off at the throne and he finds God the Father sitting on the throne and in his right hand is something. We find it out. It says, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept, and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And so as we gaze at the throne in heaven, there is God the Father, and he's holding in his right hand a scroll with writing on back and front with seven seals on it. Now, if you're like me, listen, we live in 2022. Anybody using scrolls today? No, it's hard to understand, like what, picture this in your head, like what would what, what this look like, what was the purpose of this? Well, let me show you what an ancient scroll would have looked like, you can see it on the back wall, it has seals on it, and so this is similar to maybe what the scroll would have looked like, but let me, let me break it down to you in maybe more of a modern context, because many of you know this about me, I love to get the mail, I know I'm a weirdo, okay, but my family knows, like, that's dad's job. No one gets the mail because I love to get it. Because here's the reality. When you go to the mailbox, you never know what surprises are waiting for you. <laughs> you just don't, right? usually it's a bill and you don't want that surprise. And so let me invite you to, to my mailbox today, okay? So and you go to your mailbox, you know, the mail doesn't come on Sunday. So tomorrow, when you think about Revelation 5, 6, 7, and 8, you think about your mailbox, you're like, ah, oh, it all makes sense now, okay, sweet. So when you go to your mailbox, you're going you're gonna to find maybe one of these. By the way, Dave Baim, Jane, you got mail, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's addressed to you. Or, you know, if it's a good day, you might find something a little bit bigger, like well, one of these, right? Never know It's in bigger the better. I always just assume, like, ooh, this could be something awesome. Oh, Larry and uh, Judith and Leslie from our Webster campus, you guys got mail, by the way, I don't know if you know that. But every once in a while, you show up to your mailbox. You find one of these. (laughs) These always have good things on it. And it never made sense, it frustrates me. The mail person, you know, every once in a while you find one just shoved in and you can't get it out. You're like, you know, like, they're not supposed to put that in your mailbox. It's supposed to be on your front porch. But every once in a while you find one of these things, right, okay? And here's what I know about mail. You get mail, it usually has an intended person, right? It's got a name and address on every one of these. There's different people with different addresses. But what you also find on your mail is every single one of these, big, small, they have a seal, right? This envelope has a seal on the back of it. This has one on the top. This was sealed by tape. And the point of the seal is to protect the contents inside. If you get your mail and it's unsealed, it's not a good thing. And it's the same thing that John looks in heaven and he sees a scroll, modern, ancient mail or modern date mail. And it has seven seals. And let me talk you through the the meaning of these things. The seals were holding or protecting the contents of the scroll or God's plan. And the scroll was declaring the events of God's plan. And so throughout chapter six and seven, we're going to see God unleash those seals and see the contents of his plan for the future. And so here, John weeps because he sees the scroll, he sees the seals, but nobody's worthy of opening God's plans. Until in Revelation chapter six, we find the one. It says, I watched as the lamb, that's Jesus, the lamb who was slain, opened the first of the seven seals. And so here we find the one who is worthy, right? Chapter five, we saw this huge worship service. Worthy is the lamb who was Slain. And so Jesus at the right hand of the Father opens the seven seals in chapter six and seven. But let me stop here because a couple things theologically happen. The first thing is many people believe before the first seal of God's judgment and wrath is poured out, that's when the rapture takes place. And if you're here this morning, you're like, what's the rapture? Well, there's this belief in Christianity before Jesus' second coming that God will bring believers, dead and alive believers, together in heaven. But there's a lot of debate throughout Christianity of when that actually takes place place. And my goal in this series is not to tell you when it's going to take place, because really nobody knows, but to give you the places many scholars believe. And right before the first seal, this is called a pre-tribulation rapture, this is when many scholars believe it takes place. And here's what we're going to see today, because chapter six signifies a, a shift in Revelation. Because chapters one through five are are a segment called the revelation of Christ, but as we enter six through 18, we enter the biggest part of the book of Revelation where it's the judgment and the wrath of God poured out on evil. And I will warn you over the next couple weeks, we will see a side of God that we don't often like to see. We will see a side of God where he pours out his wrath on evil. And here's what you need to know, a couple things. The first one, we serve a God who is holy. And in his holiness, he must punish sin. He must destroy evil. Another thing we see about God when we describe him is he is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, this theological world just simply means the one who has full authority and control over everything. Man, aren't you glad that God is sovereign? Aren't you glad that he's in control and not me or you? Aren't you glad that he has all authority and throughout the next couple weeks as we talk about the judgment and wrath, remind yourself of the sovereignty because we're gonna see God directly pour out his wrath and then we're gonna see him do it indirectly where he uses evil to destroy evil. And so as we open this first seal, it signifies a period of time that you may have heard of. It's called the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation is covered in chapters 6 through 18, and it's a time period where God pours out his wrath on evil in the world. And so it starts with the opening of the first seal by Jesus. Let's look at the first four seals. It says this, Then I heard the one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice from the fourth living creature saying, come. Come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague by the wild beasts of the earth. And right here, it doesn't take long to see God's judgment on evil being poured out through what we know as the four horsemen, four seals of God unleashing his wrath and his fury and his judgment on evil and it starts with the first seal. The first seal is a white horse that brings conquest. And it's interesting, this white horse, as this rider is described of uh, 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 someone riding a white horse, given a crown, it's easily, many people when they read this, they think it's Jesus coming. But it's not. It's a fake. It's, impos- it's an imposture. This is the leader of the great tribulation. Many scholars believe that this first seal, this white horse and its rider bent on conquest is the Antichrist. Then we have a second seal, a a fiery red horse, which brings war and conflict on humanity and the world. The third seal is a black horse, which brings scarcity and inequity to the region, to the area, to the world, and a fourth seal, a pale horse, which brings death by sword, by famine, by plague, and by the beasts of the earth. And we see God's judgment. We see him pouring out, and what's interesting as you read this, the first four seals, you see the four living creatures say the same exact word. They cry out, come, and anytime you see repetition in your Bible, you should, it should cause you to ask questions. Why are they saying come? Why, are, every time a, a, the first four seals are released, you have these four living creatures looking up and saying come, and, and what it is is they're desiring for the kingdom of God to come to earth. They're longing for the day that Jesus destroys evil and brings his kingdom here on earth. In fact, these, this word, come, matches Jesus' prayer and how he teaches us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Look at Jesus' own words. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And ultimately this prayer is answered in Revelation. Right, as God pours out his wrath and his judgment, he is bringing his kingdom to come to earth. He is answering the prayers of so many believers and so many saints, God, bring your kingdom come, your will be done, deliver us from evil. And what you will see through these seven seals is the first four say the words come, but all through the imagery of the next couple seals, you see this longing and this desire for the kingdom of God to come, let's look at the fist seal. It says this. When he opened the fist seal, I saw under the altar of souls those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. And so this fifth seal, we see the martyrs, the martyrs of the Christian faith crying out for God's justice. Again, you see them, you hear their words, God, how long do we have to wait for your kingdom to come? How long do we have to wait until you rid the world of evil? And you see, it's almost as the martyrs are saying, God, go get evil. Go tackle evil. Think about it like this. Many of you are dog owners, and many reasons. there's many reasons why people own dogs. The top two reasons, number one, is you want a companion. You, you want a loyal companion that will love you, you know, for a long time. That's why many people get dogs, but another reason why people get dogs is for protection. All right, you get a big dog, and, and when someone comes to your house that you don't want, that big presence, that big bark would scare a lot of intruders away, but if there were ever a time where you had a dog and, and somebody unwanted was trying to get in your house, you'd look at your dog and say, go get him. Fight all, bite, right? Attack. And as you read this fifth seal, you see the martyrs who have been killed for their faith in Jesus, looking at Jesus and saying, we're tired of waiting, God. Go get them." Go rid the world of evil, destroy it, because in a world of evil, guess what that means? There's no more wars. It means there's no more pain. There's no more sickness. There's no more injustice. There's no more lies. There's no more crime. Guess what? In a world where there's no evil, we don't have to wake up and look at our cell phone or the newspaper and see the shootings that happen all over in our backyard in Buffalo. And as a follower of Christ, as a believer, we should long for this. This prayer should be our prayer. God, we want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done. Deliver us, God, from evil because we long for the day where evil ceases. So we see it from the four living creatures saying come. We see it from the martyrs and then we find it from a unique place where the earth actually cries out to God to bring his kingdom. Look at the sixth seal. It says this, I watched as he opened the sixth seal There was a great earthquake, the sun turned black, bless you by the way, the sun turned back like sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell from the earth, as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place." The kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. They cried out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide from the face of, here he is, the one who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? So here, the sixth seal, we see cosmic destruction where the earth begins to shake and be destroyed. The earth cries out to Jesus, bring your kingdom. We see stars falling from the sky. We see islands and mountains being separated. We see humanity running in fear for the wrath that's being poured out by God. And that's what we see. We see God's judgment on evil. But then something really interesting happens in scripture. We get all the way through Seals one through six. And then it's almost as if God pauses. God takes a break from pouring out his wrath. And you'll see this over the next couple of weeks as we explore the judgment of God and evil through the seven seals today, seven trumpets next week, and then the seven bowls of God's wrath. There, every time we get to the sixth one, there becomes this interlude in scripture, this rhythm within the text where God pours out his wrath, but not his entire wrath, not his full wrath. He takes a break. And we see this in chapter seven. It says, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. And So John gives us this imagery of four angels standing at the four corners of the earth and you, you see this imagery of they are holding back God's full wrath. They're they're shouldering, waiting for the time to release God's full wrath. And I love this picture, I love this interlude because it shows us a full picture of who God is. That God, yes, must judge evil. He must pour out his wrath on evil, but yet in the midst of that, guess what God is? He's merciful and he's gracious, longing for anyone to turn to him. It also gives us a picture of the gospel and what Christ did for us. Because isn't that exactly what God did through Jesus? He withheld his wrath on me and you and gave it to his son? Think about that for a second, right? We are all sinners, the Bible makes that clear, and guess what, every sinner deserves the full wrath of God poured out on them, but because of our faith in the blood of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection, guess what God did? He withheld that wrath on you and he poured it out on his son, praise the Lord for that. And right here at the ending of the Bible, we get a beautiful picture of what Jesus accomplished for us, and God withholding his full wrath, waiting and longing for people to turn to him. And we see the purpose behind it. Look at it says in verse two. It says, then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all tribes of Israel. And so this angel comes in during this holding period and he seals the believers, 144,000 of them. In the next couple of verses are just telling you 12,000 from this tribe, and 12,000 from that tribe, and 12,000 from this, and then after this becomes this beautiful worship moment. In this pause, all of heaven worships God. Look what it says in verse nine. It says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. People from every nation, tribe, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb." So six seals, God's judgment, but not his full wrath. This interlude of God withholding, sealing the hundred and forty-four thousands. this beautiful worship moment in, in heaven. And many people believe, many scholars believe, this is where the rapture takes place. That this would be called a mid-tribulation belief where believers experience some of the tribulation, but not the full wrath of God. And then... God, Jesus, opens the seventh seal. This is chapter eight. It says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. So right after this loud worship moment, all of heaven is quiet, silent. 30 minutes. We're introduced to the seven trumpets handed to them, seven trumpets of God's wrath. We'll talk about that next week. Silence. The seventh seal is silence. And, and, and many scholars believe that this silence was a moment for God to hear the prayers, past, present, and future prayers of all the saints crying out to God to bring his kingdom crying out, God, your will be done. Deliver us from evil. I love what one commentary says about our prayers and how Revelation talks about them. It says, Revelation assures us that God hears the prayers of the saints. All throughout history, God's people have prayed for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And every prayer for the coming kingdom will certainly be answered. The prayers for justice voiced by the martyrs are not ignored Justice will be realized, the new creation will arrive, and the wicked will be judged. Can I tell you, someone needs to hear this today. Our prayers make a difference. Let me say it again, our prayers make a difference. They are one of the means God has ordained to accomplish his purposes. We must not lose heart or ever think that our prayers for goodness to prevail are ignored. Instead, we must continue to pray to our wise and sovereign God because our prayers will be answered at just the right time. So all of heaven goes silent. And as we, we look at this period of time in Revelation where we see God pouring out his judgment, it's hard. And honestly, it's a picture that I don't want to see and a picture that you don't want to see of God, but we have to remind ourselves over and over again that God's holy, and in his holiness, he must punish sin. And and that punishment causes us to feel a lot of different things, I'm sure today as we navigated a lot of this information, it caused this roller coaster of emotions in our heads and our hearts, and I think that's intentional. And I wanna just talk about some of the things that I think we should feel today that would lead us to be sanctified, changed. I think the first thing that we should feel is a little bit sober minded about the evil that we choose regularly. I think today in this passage where we see God's judgment poured out on evil, it should cause a reckoning in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls to look at our lives and say, hey, where am I living right now that's in rebellion to God? What is a sin that I'm choosing in my life to walk away from God's path and walk my own? Because here's what it reminds us, that every time we choose evil, guess where that path leads? To destruction, to ruin, and yet we choose it over and over again. This passage reminds us that God hates sin and he must punish it. So look at your life, and maybe be sober-minded today about your internet habits. Maybe be sober-minded about how you treat your spouse. Maybe be sober-minded about your dishonesty at work. Maybe be sober-minded about how you treat your sexuality. Maybe be sober-minded about how you approach dating and relationships. Let you look at the depths of your life and your choices last week and the week before and look and say, where am I living in rebellion to God? And maybe today I should choose a different path. I should walk away from that evil and repent from it and follow God wholeheartedly. It's weird because the first feeling we we feel is a little bit of sober-minded, but on the opposite end of that spectrum, I think a lot of us today, believers in Jesus Christ are going to feel excited about evil being destroyed, right? There's something about us that, that should feel really excited that Jesus is going to bring his kingdom, and when he brings his kingdom, guess what? Evil no longer exists. That the the world that we live in, it's hard for us to imagine a world without evil because every time we open our newspaper, we see our feed, we see evil all over the pages, but a world with no pain or sorrow or sickness or illness, everything bad that we hate about this world is gone. (laughs) It's deleted. It's destroyed. Can I tell you as a believer, it's okay to long for that day. I think we should be praying for that day regularly. God, bring your kingdom. God, I'm longing, just like all the seals, come, Lord Jesus, bring. How long, God, must we wait for you to bring your kingdom, destroy evil? Because here's what this means for us. A world without evil means this. It means no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sadness or tears, no more sickness, or cancer, or viruses. It means no more lies, or wars, or abuse, or suffering, or death, or destruction, or mistreatment, or separation, or divorce, or hunger, or racism, or homicides, or crimes. The list goes on and on. All of those things that we can't stand, that cause us to mourn, that that, that leave us unsettled and unsatisfied, all those are gone. And man, I can't, I don't know about you, I can't wait for that day, yeah so today I think we should feel sober-minded about some of the destruction that we've chosen on our own the evil that's in our hearts that we need to rid of I think we should feel excited that Jesus is going to return and he's going to bring his kingdom but I think above all other feelings I think what we should feel today is we should feel grateful that God withheld his wrath on you and on me And how can you read the story of of seeing the devastation that God's wrath brings on evil and not be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That while I was a sinner, deserving God's full wrath being poured out on me and out on you but what did God do he didn't pour it out on me he didn't pour it out on you if we believe in the cross and the blood of Jesus and his resurrection God withholds his wrath on you and on me and he pulls out pours out his full wrath on his son and how can today we not be grateful for that How can today we not live in a celebration of that? And if you're here today and you haven't said yes to Jesus, I have a simple question for you. What are you waiting for? The truth is, is we don't know if tomorrow Jesus is coming back. And so you might say you have time, but do you really? Because we don't know. And why not can't today be the day where you say, you know what, I believe. I get it, I'm, I, I'm a sinner, and I can't fix my sin, but Jesus accomplished it for me. He defeated my greatest enemy, and all I gotta do is submit to him, surrender to him, believe, confess that he is Lord, and that he raised from the dead, and the Bible says you'll be saved. What will you be saved from? From your sin and the wrath of God. Sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? What are you waiting for? The God of the universe loves you, gave up his son for you, and he wants you desperately. So maybe today is the day where you cross that line of faith, where you ask a friend, what does it mean to follow Jesus? We should be grateful today. And and I don't know about you, but when I'm grateful and I'm thankful, you know what it causes me to do? Worship. You see, many of us, we struggle to worship because We take our eyes off of Jesus and we realize how much he's done in our life and how much he's given to us. And when we actually get our eyes back on Jesus and we recognize the gospel and what it means for our lives and how grateful we should be for it, it causes us our hearts to just worship God in every area of our lives. And so as we wind down today, that's what we're gonna do, church. We're gonna get on our feet right now. Come on, Webster, come on online, come on, Rochester. And we're gonna praise the one who sits on the lamb. And here's why we're gonna praise, because our sin is gone. So let's celebrate that today. Come on, church, let's worship. Here we go, come on, man.